Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Rail Talk with me, Michelle Craven Faulkner from Shoesmiths. Um, I am joined today by Elaine Clark, and Elaine is the CEO of the Rail Forum, which, in you know, the sense of true disclosure, I have been, and full disclosure rather, I've been um, on the board of for coming up for 20 years. Um, so I've known Elaine for a fair old bit of time. So I thought it was an ideal opportunity to get Elaine to come over today and chat to us about all things Rail Forum. So Elaine, in my true still Scylla style rather, um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, so I guess we all have a bit of a life outside of Rail. <gasps> so, Sorry, no. Yeah, um, so um, my background is engineering. I still think of myself as an engineer although I would be really dangerous if anybody gave me any engineering to do because I haven't actually done any for years, um, but not an engineer in rail. Um, so I've worked across the chemical industry mm -hmm. and the electricity industry, electrical power, uh, before coming into rail. Um, that's really useful because it's different experiences, but both of those industries are what I would class as heavy industrial, mm -hmm. safety critical. So there's a lot of comparisons yeah. and lessons that I can bring, hopefully, into the day job, as it were. Um, I've also spent a number of years in my past as managing director of an SME. Um, we specialised in engineering training for the electricity industry. Um, so I do have experience as a real SME, mm -hmm. and hopefully, again, that brings something to the role around understanding some of the frustrations, the challenges that our SMEs face. Yeah, that's the whole thing that we always say, isn't it? It's, you know, you're running the business, you're doing the sales, you're doing the payroll, and you're also putting out the bins and making the tea, isn't it? It's it's that kind of position. It is, but, but it's also, I think, um, when I was a graduate trainee with the big corporate, I can remember being sent onto management courses, finance courses, and I can remember, still remember, going on this course called Cash Flow, which made absolutely no sense at all. Just did not get it. <laughs> but I can assure you, the first couple of weeks of being in an SME, I absolutely <laughs> got it. Um, so it's those practical things. And one of the interesting things that I find is that in talking to our SMEs about their frustrations, their challenges, whether it's contracts, whether it's pipelines, whether it's skills, um, cash flow, um, whatever it might be, even though the SME that I ran was doing very different things as a product or service, a lot of those issues resonate. Yeah. They're the same sorts of issues. Yeah. We, didn't, we had customers that didn't tell us what they wanted until two days before they wanted it, and then they wanted it six weeks ago. They're the same sorts of issues. Absolutely. So we brought you in to the Rail Forum at the back end of 2015 to do a two-day-a-week, three-month project, if if I'm right. How, how's that working out for you? Oh, fantastic. <laughs> Absolutely fantastic. Um, I, I did come in genuinely to do a two-months two, uh, two or so, th uh, sorry, two-day-a-week, three-months project. I'm not sure that I've actually done it yet. going to say, have you delivered to us what you were supposed to? <laughs> I, think, I think I've delivered it on at least several occasions in several different guises because it's involved. And it was actually a piece around schools. Yeah. was actually what I came in to originally do. 
Um, but but things just moved on and, and we have re-delivered it in, in a number of different ways, I think. Well, interesting. I mean, just to pick up on that point, I mean, um, I'm sure I've spoken about this in another podcast, but we, we do do the IRL event, don't we, each year, which works very heavily with schools and getting schools to come in and do kind of Dragon's Den type arrangements. So, yeah, I think I think that you're OK. I think you've delivered it. So in the time, so you joined us properly in 2016. That's right. Um, so in the time that you've been at the helm, What's really changed? I mean, I, you know, I could sit here and reel off a whole load of things that have changed in the rail forum in that time. But what, what are the key significant changes that you think from when you started to where we are now? Um, I think there are a lot of changes, but can I start with what I think is the same? Uh, because it's really fundamental. Mm-hmm. And that's our ethos, mm-hmm. you know, why we exist and why we, we're, why we were created in the first place. So we came from the supply chain mm-hmm. for the supply chain. And that is absolutely the ethos. And we exist to support and for the benefit of our members. Yeah. And that is absolutely critical. And that has not changed in the 30 years. It is our 30th anniversary. And that won't change. That's mm-hmm. absolutely fundamental. Um, but how we deliver on that promise, I think not so much changed as evolved and grown and developed um, as we have tried to engage more with our members to understand their needs better Mm -hmm. um we have therefore in delivering on that promise we've first of all fundamentally grown enormously so i think from if my memory serves me about 130 members roughly um we're now 370 Mm -hmm. so that's phenomenal growth which brings with it its own challenges Um, that means the team has grown because we have to service those members. Yeah, our members are our customers, and we sort of interchange those two words within the team quite a lot. Yeah. But fundamentally, our members are our customers. Um, so the team's grown. That means we can do more. Um, so we do a lot more events, a lot more varied events, and we do a number of other things all around that. You know, what is it that members want and need? Sometimes members don't know that they need certain things, so we have to <laughs> perish them. Um, but it is around. It is really very much about supporting those members. Yeah, and I think just touching on the team. I mean, I think when you joined, there was you and somebody supporting on the admin side, wasn't that? And that is very, very different now. I mean, kind of how many of us are there now in terms of the team itself? We've got two membership engagement managers. Is that right, or is it three? Um, it might be evolving. <laughs> we've currently got a team of six Yes. in, in terms of actual people, um, but they're not six full-time mm-hmm. equivalents. Um, it actually works out as, a, as near as, 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 as it matters, five full-time equivalents because we've got people that work part-time. And, and I actually think that there would be a lot of people listening to this who are members who would be really surprised by that because it seems like everybody is everywhere all the time. <laughs> One of the things that has changed over the last um, six or seven years, um, not just for us, but for the world at large, is social media. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it is fair to say that when I first got involved with the forum, yes, we did have a Twitter account, but nobody actually knew how to use it. Um, probably nobody dared to use it either. Mm-hmm. They weren't quite sure how it worked. Um, whereas now, um, not so much Twitter, but LinkedIn. Yeah, you know, we have... Yeah, you know, we're not far of ten thousand followers now on LinkedIn, 
LinkedIn is used a lot, not just by us, but by lots of our members. Um, and you know, it's instant, it's very visual. Um, so yes, it can give the impression that we are everywhere a lot of the time. Uh, sadly, we're not. It would be great if we had had more people to do more things. Um, but yes, the team has um, it covers a lot of ground. Um, I do get asked frequently, how do you manage to do so much with such a small team? Uh, and, and the easy answer to that is we're nimble, we're agile because we're small. Mm -hmm. Yes, we have processes and procedures, but we're not encumbered by big corporate bureaucracy. Yeah. So if we see an opportunity to do something, we get on and do it. And yeah. I'm really lucky that the board, which includes yourself, is really supportive. So I get a fair bit of freedom to get on and do things without having to go through that corporate treacle yeah. that many of, of our colleagues have to deal with every day. Yeah, absolutely. So and it's right. So so for those people that don't know, there is a there is a team of you who work for the Rail Forum, and then the the governance side of it is managed by a board, which is largely elected. But then we also have some stakeholder members as well from some of the key organisations, such as for example Network Rail or local councils that that we feel would benefit from being involved. So um, it's uh, you know it's for for such a small team and such a small organisation. I think it really does punch well above its weight um and i think that that's just testament to you know the things that you've done and what the team are doing because obviously the team are all fantastic and i think the level of things that we as an organization are involved in as well i think you know if you looked at the size of us and then looked at what we're involved in you know it uh people wouldn't necessarily put the two together so um so we've spoken a little bit about how the organization has changed and it has definitely evolved and you know, depending on when this podcast gets launched, depends on whether we are able to announce at the time that we've got a new person joining. But we have hopefully got another new person joining, which we, which is going to be fantastic. Um, you've mentioned the fact that members are our customers. And, you know, at the end of the day, they're the ones that pay the membership fee. And so what we do is what they want us to do and what we think that they should be looking at. Do you want to just give us a quick idea of some of the key things that we've got going on for members at the moment, some of the key initiatives, because again, it's it's a really quite a broad church. Recognising, of course, that rail is an incredibly broad sector. You know, this isn't just a case of, you know, building a train. It's the infrastructure, it's the signalling, it's the people. It's it's so broad. Uh, absolutely. So, yeah, you asked the question about you know, how have we changed. Um, one of the ways we've changed is probably going back eight or so years we had quite a rolling stock bias. It's now almost 50-50 <laughs> rolling stock infrastructure railway systems. Um, and it's very much a national membership base. So we have to make sure that we're doing something for all of those members. Uh, and different companies join for different reasons. Yeah. Um, bigger companies join for certain reasons. Smaller companies join for d different reasons. Um, at a practical level, most of the companies that we support look for short to medium term support um yes the long-term strategy yeah. the long-term sort of roadmap for the industry is is important to them but it's not the day-to-day -day issues that they're dealing with right right now yeah so uh, that drives a lot of our sort of what i would class as operational level initiatives mm -hmm. um and the most obvious of, of those is around events so we have significant events program uh, across the year some of those events 
are very much focused on different parts of the industry, so rolling stock specific or infrastructure specific, some are for everybody and it's really important we bring everybody together because we are a whole system at the end of the day. Um, one of the things that members really, really value is the opportunity to talk to clients. So we've had events such as InfraTalk online where we've had 400 people join those events uh, where it's a real opportunity to talk to tier one contractors to Network Rail, for example, and Network Rail themselves, HS2, other key clients. Um, and uh, we are launching in July a passenger operator talk equivalent mm -hmm. so called talk talk um and we'll see how that goes mm -hmm. it's it's been new so uh, it hopefully will work worth saying isn't it InfraTalk started during lockdown didn't it we we created it yeah. because of lockdown yeah. because we couldn't physically get into the same room as, as other people yeah. um and uh, and it's sort of yeah developed from there and and, and people really really like mm -hmm. it um it, it really does work um so, so we have events that are very much focused around bringing clients and, and, and customers together. But it's also about learning, uh, you know, what's yeah. happening in the industry, whether it's new technologies um, or whether it's new initiatives. Um, so those events have got to be of value. You know, they've got to take a number of boxes to be to be of value. Um, our communications is also really important. Um, you know, we've done a lot of work on our comms. Um, I think members really do see a difference. Mm -hmm. um, the structure to the communications that comes out, that come out uh, be it our newsletters um, or our events at Mail Shots. You know, we try really hard to capture member news because yeah. members want to know what other members are doing. Um, they're spotting that opportunities to work together. Mm -hmm. So that connectivity of member to member is really important. Um, and you know, more and more members are sending us their news, which is fantastic. Um, saves us having to go searching for it all. I've definitely noticed that. I've definitely noticed an, an, an uptake um, in the amount of members now who do share rather than it being one or two and quite often the same one or two that would share news it's when the newsletter came out this week you know it's scroll 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 there are so many people sharing news which is great and yeah it's it's free and that newsletter goes to 1500 1600 people including departments in government including senior people across key client organizations it also goes uh to uh, one or two commercial officers in uh, the Department of Business and Trade overseas. So, and obviously it can be shared further. And similarly, social media, even more so, gets shared much more widely. So the more people share their news with us, the more we can amplify that message. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And so what do you think the key opportunities are? I'll start with a positive one. What are the key opportunities for our members at the moment, of which there are some significant ones out there? Yes, I think, yeah, at the moment, it's it's quite busy on the infrastructure side yeah uh, a lot of companies are currently tendering for work in cp7 yep uh with network rail um somewhat more challenging on the rolling stock side of things um and we may touch on that uh, later um but there are a number of wider opportunities i think um there's um great british railways some people might see that as uh, a challenge or an opportunity i think challenge opportunity are the two sides of the same coin mm -hmm. um so um gbr we have to treat as an opportunity absolutely to, to, to sort out some of the challenges that we that absolutely we've lived with for many many years um the global center for rail excellence and um the potential that has to support uk supply chain 
not just to test and demonstrate the products and services that, that we have for the UK railway, but also for the potential for export and bringing yeah. in potential overseas clients, I think is huge. Um, and it's interesting, sorry, just on that, on the, the GCRE point, it's interesting. I've spoken to a, a number of rail businesses recently who, who say, well, it's, it's just a test track, isn't it? And it's so much more than a test track. It, it, it absolutely is. Uh, I mean, I've, I visited on probably the worst day possible to, to visit because it was so wet. Um, but the thing that I, I, and I've said this a few times since, the site is just vast. And it's like most things in life, you can say that you have to actually go and see it yourself to see just how, yeah. how vast it is the size of Gibraltar. Um, the, um, but it's not just a test track for trains, it's a testing facility for infrastructure. Mm -hmm. There is an infrastructure loop. Um, lots and lots of opportunity to do different things um, that don't require the same um, degree of certifications that you would have on a passenger railway. Um, so you can test things and try things that you yeah. would not be able to do on the, the live network. Um, and as I say, you know, real scope for bringing overseas clients to see what we can mm. do in the UK. Mm. Which I think, especially at the moment, is going to be of key importance, isn't it? Looking again at that export market where people may not have considered that for some time now because it has been quite active in the UK market. I think that with with everything that that is going on and things being delayed i think that export is is something that we as a as a rail forum have been starting to look at a little bit more isn't it and and working with colleagues to see what opportunities there might be absolutely so you said you know what initiatives have we got going so one is looking at what can we do better more to support those members that are looking to export mm -hmm. it's not for everybody and and some countries are better Yep. starter than other countries. Uh, we've got an, a specific initiative with Southern Africa, which again is not for everybody, mm -hmm. but but may well be for some, um, where we're looking at doing things a little bit differently with DBT, where they will provide what I would describe as like warm leads, mm -hmm. where there's real needs um, for companies to be able to respond to. Uh, so we're just in the process of putting together uh, a formal letter of intent to cooperate, mm -hmm. uh, and then we'll we'll get that that moving and hopefully see some see how that works. If it works well, we can expand the concept to other areas. And then for some companies, it might be diversification into other sectors if they've got gaps in their their current order books. Um, and we've done quite a bit of work already within aerospace. Uh, we did a joint event with aerospace last year, which enabled companies to tap into some of the funding that they had. Um, and we've also recently launched a new um, IT platform called Network Network Portal that we developed collaboratively with Automotive and Aerospace um, about 18 months ago. Uh, that's just gone live. Uh, we've already got almost 100 companies, about 100 of our members, okay. that have actually logged on, started to create a profile, and we'll be supporting those companies over the next six months to get more involved, exploit the, that portal mm. as much as possible. And that provides the opportunity for, for our members to connect with other companies in other sectors to explore you know, different um, opportunities. And I think notwithstanding what's happening in the rail sector at the moment, that, that kind of sharing of knowledge cross sectors is really important anyway. There's always been... Um, there's, there's always been this kind of relationship between automotive and aviation and 
rail. So life cycle costing that rail use on the rolling stock side of things was taken from aviation. Some of the parts management side has come from automotive. That sharing of information has only got to be for the good. Um, as I say, regardless of what individual markets are doing at the time. And, and I think historically there's been some companies in aviation and automotive who've kind of poked their head around the corner, looked at REL and then decided against it. So hopefully, you know, there, there is the opportunity to encourage them to, to play in this field as well. Uh, absolutely. And that learning is, is, is very much two-way. Um, I think it's not necessarily a coincidence that government's decision on the location of GBO headquarters was Derby because of the links to not just aerospace, which is the obvious one with Rolls-Royce, uh, but also autom automotive with um, Toyota and a little bit more broadly, JCB, which is just, yep. also, also just down the road. And also Castle Donington as well on the automotive side. Castle Donington on the automotive side and also Castle Donington uh, from an airport perspective mm -hmm. in, a, in the logistics sense because it's DHL's biggest you know, yep. sort of base. Um, and I was at a meeting on early this week Monday, Tuesday, I forget which, with the Great British Railways Transition Team and the um, Derby City Council's bid team mm -hmm. as they're starting to now think about what they put in place, what does that yeah. vision look like? Um, and, you know, we've been asked to take a lead, um, effectively being the link to the supply chain. And, you know, I, I, I said on, I think it was Tuesday, um, I said on Tuesday, um, yeah, it's really important that we involve other trade associations obviously in that we have to if we're there as that yeah. central focal bit we have to be there for everybody um but it's not just about rail it's also about the relationships we've got with the the aerospace mm -hmm. trade associations the tech um yeah. uh, associations and you and i've talked about people like tech uk for example yeah. and, and and more widely so um I think you know, there's a lot of cross-sector learning. And as we look forward with technology, whether it's future fuels, um, digital, that there's you can see a coming together of yeah. some of those technologies. Uh, and then we get into the whole connected transport and things like that. I know, that brave new world, that one day, one day. I mean, one of the things that I do want to raise with you that we, we can't shy away from when we're looking at the rail sector is the involvement of politics. And going back to what you said at the start, there are certain things that are happening, whether directly impacting the sector or, or from a wider uh, UK PLC point of view, where we need to get involved on members' behalf. So we need to find out what's happening and we need to share that information with, um, with our members. Um, and to that end, we sit on various panels. I think I obviously, I'm not going to say I drew the short straw, but I'm, I obviously do the retained uh, EU legislation side of things. And then there's the GBRTT consultations. But it goes wider than that, doesn't it? Because essentially at the moment, at a time before GBR comes online proper, as and when that's going to be, is still undecided at the moment. Um, DFT and the Secretary of State and the Rail Minister are that guiding mind for the rail industry, aren't they? I mean, how difficult have you found that since becoming involved in the rail forum? Because I'm assuming that was something that you weren't doing before in your SME role. Absolutely. I, th I think uh, that the rail minister and secretary sit are more than a guiding mind at the moment, controlling <laughs> purse strings at mind. Uh, anyway, uh, no, absolutely. Um, the politics part of my job, and it is actually quite a big part of the job, um, 
was was completely new. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it is fair to say that um, I am learning every day, as I think all of us do uh, so, somewhere uh, or another. Um, but it's really, really important. Um, so as an organisation, we have to be apolitical because we have to work with whichever party is in government yep. or parties are in government. Um, we know that we're going into an election year mm -hmm. next year and I, I suspect none of us would really want to bet too much money on what the outcome of that might might be. Um, so we're apolitical and we work with and ha have contacts within the political parties, plural, uh, but obviously the bit that is permanent is, is the civil service. Mm -hmm. um, so we have uh, strong relationships with both the Department for Business and Trade, as, as they now are, brought UK Business and International Trade together recently. Um, as well as the Department for Transport. Different relationship across the two departments because they've got quite different mm -hmm. focus areas. You know, DFT is very focused on the operational railway. Department for Business is focused on businesses. And it, and it is actually quite, quite different. And that is yeah. quite noticeable. Um, the, um, we do sit on a number of um, boards and groups. So I'm a member of the Rail Supply Group Council. Um, the council works on behalf of the industry with, with government. Um, and then various uh, DFT um, liaison groups, etc. We have a specific relationship with GBO for the future. We have um, an agreed uh, key stakeholder engagement plan with them, and we've recently uh, conducted a number of roundtable mm. discussions with them. Um, but you know, we meet regularly. Um, I meet every couple of weeks um, informally with DFT. Um, the board meets uh, every two to four weeks with both DFT and Department for Business. Uh, and I also uh, speak with uh, Department for Business on a really regular basis as well. It's probably the most, the politics is probably the most frustrating part of the role. Because being honest, no trade association anywhere is going to fundamentally completely change government policy. We have to work with Absolutely. some of those key policies. Yeah. Um, I'm going to quote um, Maggie Simpson, who many people uh, who are listening will will know. Um, and Maggie, I think, captured it really, really well when she said, you can shout from the sidelines or you can roll up your sleeves and get on the pitch. Mm -hmm. So I think our approach is very much about rolling up the, the, the sleeves and getting onto the pitch to play with those political parties, understand what their priorities are, get our message across as to what our members' priorities are, challenges, opportunities as we see them, um, and look at how we can bring it all together so that we're playing on that same pitch. And I think that's the thing, isn't it? It's, it's I can remember many years ago, you know, being told in no uncertain terms by a previous Secretary of State that, that just telling them everything that was wrong wasn't helping matters. What they actually wanted was... Yes, obviously, we need, we're there to identify what challenges are being faced by our members, to, but to actually come up with, well, what are the solutions? What are the alternatives? That's not to say that we will have the answers for everything, but I don't think you can underestimate the ideas and the innovation that flows from the supply chain. And sometimes it's about highlighting that to people, whereas it might be overlooked in various layers of... of you know, paperwork somewhere else. It's like let's let's raise and highlight what those things can be. And I think one of the things that we we really try to do is is get people out to show them. Mm -hmm. So one of my frustrations is um, if DFT, um, and I'm not you know picking on any person in particular here, 
But if, if government colleagues uh, sit in Whitehall or any of their devolved offices and don't go out to have a look at what the supply chain can offer, mm. how can they possibly know what to ask for when they come to, whether it's specifying a train or talking to Network Rail about the art of the possible mm -hmm. in terms of you know future infrastructure developments and, and uh, technology, et cetera. So you know, one of the things that we do is we do host visits, um, not just for uh, the civil service officials, but also for ministers and shadow ministers. Um, we get them out there, see what, that, what the supply chain can do and getting those conversations going. Um, so that's really, really important. And I would like to think that we tend not to go to government with just the problems. We try and go with solutions or at least ideas um, that we can then have a dialogue about, mm -hmm. well, this might work, this might not work. Uh, and we try and find, and, and you've got to just keep chipping away at it. Yeah, and I, and I think that, that dialogue was always good, but, but it was almost like it was really cemented during COVID because the frequency of those conversations we were having were, were obviously hugely heightened because of all the challenges that everybody was facing at that time. And, you know, let's be honest, a number of those challenges have continued. Um, you know, I, I do keep being on the lookout for the fourth horseman because it's kind of right, what now? We've got utilities, we've got war, we've got raw materials issues, cost of living crisis. And, and actually, one of the things that you and I have not spoken about today, which from a rail point, it's actually not just from a rail point of view, but that's the, the sector that we're focusing on today, is actually the skills shortage and, and the issues that, that we are facing within rail. Um, it's brilliant we talk about digitization. It's brilliant that we talk about all of, all of these, the, you know, that side of things and the people side of things. And there is definitely a piece of work that needs to be done to encourage people to recognise rail as a viable career for them. Um, although, please do beware, once you join, you will never leave. Uh, you're not allowed. Um, but but there is a much wider need from the engineering side of things, isn't there? We've, we've got a bit of a pinch point coming up, haven't we? I think we've got a lot of a pinch point coming up. Somebody actually said to me when I first joined the industry, oh, once you've joined rail, you'll never escape. And I laughed at the time, and that was about <laughs> 10 years ago. So, yeah, there, there was a lot of truth in that. Hotel California. Uh, yep. Um, so, um, yeah, I think yeah, the, the whole skills, um, the diversity and inclusivity angle is, is really important. Um, it's um, we, we know that we have an ageing workforce. We know that we don't have a particularly diverse workforce. Um, the volume of people that will be retiring from the industry over the next five years is more than the volume from the last five years. So we know we've got that pinch point getting closer and closer. Um, and the skills requirements are changing. We'll still need people who can weld, who can do mechanical, yeah, wield a spanner. Um, but we'll need lots of new and different skills as well. And I think all companies have a... Uh, responsibility to do their bit for that agenda so um even us with our just six well six people small company that we are uh, we've got a work experience student with us this week and in fact she happens to be with me here today she does um so eve foster is spending a week with uh, the rail forum um just understand, understanding a little bit about what we do uh, so I'm going to ask her a question, if I may, Michelle. Absolutely, let's um, do this. So put her on the spot. Um, yeah. <laughs> no pressure. I, I know you've only been with us two and a half days, Eve, but from your perspective as sixth former, um, what do you think the industry could do better 
to sh to showcase the different careers that are available in the industry. Do you have any idea what's available, or do we not do a good job at the moment of telling people what 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 you could do? I think it's definitely like putting more opportunities out there for people my age to experience what types of careers are out there, not just in rail, but just in general. Mm -hmm. That would definitely encourage more people into to business. Mm -hmm. um, so it's providing things like work experience opportunities, yes. even if it's just a day. Yes. Um, it's getting out into schools to talk to pupils about you know, what I do, what you do, mm -hmm. you know, different roles. Mm -hmm. Um and um and then you know, really be able to, to show you what what different people do in the industry do. If you can't see what somebody does, then you you know, you don't know that job exists. I think also as well it's that it's that misconception perhaps that if you work in rail, you're a train driver mm -hmm. or you're a ticket collector or you know, th there are certain limited jobs where I think that it is a business in its own right. It is. It is a sector. Is it? Is an industry. You know, if somebody had told me when I was leaving university that I would become a rail lawyer, I, I'd have probably run away laughing. But you know, here I am, twenty odd years later. Really good example of of a career, a stellar career that you wouldn't necessarily have thought of, because as a trainee lawyer, you probably didn't even think about the fact that there was such a thing as a no. a rail lawyer. Um, and and that's the point, isn't it? It's you know you just don't. See, how can any mm. person at school or any teacher in a school mm. see all be aware of all those different opportunities? And and a theme of you know a couple of the previous podcasts that I've done, and will definitely be a theme of a podcast that I'm um, planning on doing uh, in the future, is about that ability for rail to market itself. Um, I would be very surprised if people understood the breadth and the scale of the jobs that could be done for rail and and also the fact that it's it's not just about this country either you know we mentioned export earlier on the potential to export whether it's goods or services across the world is huge and the world does look at the UK as having that that level of expertise which is it's world class so you know, you speak to some junior engineers and they kind of go, I'm crikey, I'm off flying out to the Middle East or I'm off flying out to somewhere in Europe. And they would have never understood that. So going back to that planes, trains and automobiles, which is, you know, a paper that Derby City Council pulled together a number of years ago that, that we as the Rail Forum were involved in. It, it's almost it's always been seen that rail is that poor relation to aviation and automotive. And I think that a challenge that we have got across the sector is to change that, and you know, we've we've said many times before in many press releases and everything like that that rail is a real economic driver for growth. You know, rail is not just about revenue for rail. Obviously, that is important, but it's about moving people around, whether they're going for work, whether they're going for leisure, whether it's about development of new mini cities or trading, you know, um, industrial estates nearby new train stations. It's it's about so much more and all we need to do now is to get that message properly out there so that Eve, maybe you um, and your friends, you know, will very quickly see that rail is somewhere. All my jokes about Hotel California, which are probably lost on you, would be, um, you know, be completely, you know, it won't matter because it, it is it is a career for life, which you don't tend to see that often anymore, I don't think. And I think, you know, you've captured 
some really important points around that community. Mm. Yeah, we exist to serve. Uh, this week happens to be Community Rail Week. It does. I think. It does. Have you voted for your station? I have not yet. Um, so yeah, we the, the railway exists for a purpose. We're not here just for the sake of having a railway. We exist to move people and mm. goods around. And that is about you know bringing people together with other people. It's about yep. communities. It's about students going to university or schools. It's about work, um, holidays, etc. So you know we have a really important purpose in the fabric of our society, um, and we have a real opportunity in the future. Um, you know over these next ten years or twenty years. Um, from a sustainability perspective, in terms of sustainable transport, you know, we should really be the transport mm-hmm. choice as we, as a country, need to get more and more people out of cars, more and more goods off lorries and onto the railway. Um, now, there are challenges at the moment, you know, persuading government to invest what many of us would think would be blindingly obvious things to invest in, um, which are, you know, probably bigger than the scale of this podcast because we're into the whole, you know, UK PLC, PLC finances. Um, but yeah, we have a role to keep reminding government mm-hmm. of the important role that the rail industry plays, not just for the people that work in it, but for the broader communities that we serve and the wider UK PLC, you know, sort of, you know, business infrastructure. Definitely. Um, right. As you say, we could, we could talk like this for hours. I am minded to ask you one last question, Elaine Clark. It feels like I'm a mastermind or, you know, this is your life or something. Um, what do you see as being the key focus for the next 12 months for the Rail Forum? So it's it's very much keeping close to our members. Mm-hmm. As always, our members are absolutely at the heart of everything that we do. It's keeping close to our members to understand their challenges, their opportunities, helping them to make those contacts that they need right now. Um, particularly for those in infrastructure. There's a lot going on in preparation for CP7. Uh, so we've got various events, various other activities uh, focused on that. Um, and it's also about um, keeping the pressure on government uh, because we have got a high hiatus of work, particularly in rolling stock. Yes. So we need to keep really pressing on that point um, on behalf of our rolling stock colleagues. It's about continuing to build those relationships with GBR um, who knows what happens from a politics point of view post next year, but at the moment GBR is the future, so it's really important we work hard with the organisation to build what I think are critically important, not just relationships for the future, but how we're all going to work together as a supply chain with the end client going forward. Uh, and that isn't just about infrastructure. Remember that is about the whole industry as it as it evolves. So those relationships are really really important um and and fundamentally as i say it's about listening to our members what do they want what do they need and being creative you know what i like to think that we do things a little bit differently Mm -hmm. um and you know what what do we need to do to make sure that we're continuing to serve the needs of our members Um, there's a really good quote from um the guys that set up netflix um when they didn't do a deal with um, Blockbusters because Blockbusters thought it was too expensive to do a deal with Netflix. Um, And at the time, Blockbusters could have bought Netflix for, I think, uh, it was something like $50 million. Goodness. And uh, I know Netflix has taken a little bit of a hit recently, but I think when I read the quote, 
it was it was at that point worth 150 billion dollars mm. um and the quote was you know you've got to be prepared to disrupt your business and your business model um or somebody else will and i think you know from my perspective and from my team's perspective because it is a very much a team effort you know we do try and think about different things mm-hmm. doing things differently we might not necessarily use the disrupt word but I think we like to disrupt how we do things. Yeah. We're doing the best we absolutely can for our members. Uh, and that is absolutely yeah, focus of our, of our world. Fabulous. Thank you so much for this, Elaine. It's been really good to chat and actually have the time to breathe and chat rather than us running around like the lunatics we, we normally are. So thank you very much for your time. Thank you.